Welcome to the Social Authority Podcast with Amy Schmidauer. That's me. This show is for you, a rising star in your industry, ready to produce your authority and share it with the world. Let's get started. I'm here today with an incredible YouTube friend of mine. And what's really fun about this is I think we got the most acquainted, hold, wait for it, in the YouTube comments section. I know, it's crazy. People are like, wait, what real things happen in the YouTube comments section? Which of course, we could be happy to talk about at some point. But Roberto Blake from Roberto Blake YouTube channel. What's up, how are you? I'm doing awesome as usual. How about you, Amy? Awesome, awesome. You're always creating awesome every day, every, every single day. This guy makes a YouTube video. I mean, mad respect. People are saying to me, Amy, you make three videos a week. I'm like, Roberto makes seven. Get off me. Like seriously, like there's, there's more that can be done and you're amazing. And you are always teaching brands and people and just all walks of YouTube life, how to create awesome every day. So can you talk a little bit about what your channel does on the regular? Yeah, so absolutely. So uh, seven days a week, I help people create awesome things and share them with the world. So it's whatever you happen to be doing. I put some resources out there. So I got my background initially like in creative services, art, graphic design, that kind of thing, working internally in marketing departments. So Mondays, I put out graphic design videos. Tuesdays, I put out tech videos, which is why I'm wearing the blue t-shirt. We'll talk a little bit about that later. But Tuesdays, I put out the tech stuff because whatever you're doing, whether you're a filmmaker, a designer, a marketer, you got to use tech today to get your job done. So you need to know what to buy and how to use it. So I put that out there. Wednesdays is all about cameras. It's all about filmmaking or photography and how you use that to help promote yourself, how you use those tools, what they are, what all of those crazy terms that photographers talk about that no one understands. Um, so I explain that stuff. Thursdays, I give people tutorials. It's like, okay, we got to get into software. I've got to take this complex or mundane thing and I've got to make it interesting, informative, and maybe help you get through it in five minutes if you can to get a job done or 20 minutes if this has to be perfect or your job's on the line. Mm -hmm. So then Fridays, YouTube, all about YouTube, all about video marketing and how to grow a YouTube channel and the things you need to do that. Saturday is social media and small biz. And then Sundays are for me. Sundays are my vlogs and my real world adventures. I love how you're like, Sundays are for me. Sundays are the day of the vlog. <laughs> it's like, yeah. oh my gosh, like that's a lot. And you know what? I love, um, I just want to point out that Roberto and I talk about some stuff that's the same, a lot of stuff that's different, but we both sort of have these awesome taglines where yours is create awesome stuff and share it with the world. Mine is embrace your amazing personality and share it with the world. So pretty much if you would like to take on the world, you should subscribe to both Roberto Blake and Savvy Sexy Social YouTube channels because they are going to help you to do that. <laughs> right, right. So, Roberto, I, I want to give everybody a little bit of context. Um, we had previously done an interview uh, before I made a little transition with my podcast, and it was my first time hosting a, 
a blab, which is what we are on right now, blab.im. And it was your first time doing a blab at all. And we were both sort of like, have it, we had a great chat, it, no doubt about it. But some time had passed before I published it. And now, since then, we both have been on Blab for a, a little while. I, I'm still not hosting as many things. There will be a lot more now that this podcast situation has been figured out. But you have been hosting Blabs like crazy. You've gotten super acquainted with the platform. So I just thought we couldn't really do our conversation justice by me posting this really old conversation. And now I feel like so much has changed. In additional context, we had an amazing Scope Past Sunday session this past weekend. And if you don't know what that is, myself and my co-hosts are Vincenzo Landino and Sue B. Zimmerman. And the three of us host just 20 minute chats on Sunday morning and we just sort of string them together and call it one hour of programming. We stick with a theme. And then we like to pass the scope to somebody after that last third session. And you were perfectly hanging out with us and chiming in in the comments and we were talking about personal branding, which is what we're talking about today. And I thought, oh my gosh, Roberto wants to jump in. This is perfect because he, you were a perfect person to tie into this conversation because you talk about this so much already. And then you just dropped so much value on our Scope Past Sunday audience. So I thought, okay, not only are we going to have a refresher podcast conversation, but it's a perfect continuation for what just happened over the weekend. I mean, there was just... I think you and I bring so much to this conversation of personal branding because we really don't have a choice. We're YouTube creators. And so suddenly there's a personal brand as soon as you start talking to a camera. And so I think that we have seen a lot of tactics and strategies and just execution period and seeing what happens um, in the personal branding space. Well, you and I have lived it. I mean, we've been putting our face and our personal brand out there, both of us for over 500 videos now. And we're like, in that very small percentage of people who can actually say that. So I think that that's super important. Uh, practitionership, it's something that we talk about, it's something that Gary Vaynerchuk talks about all the time, and it comes down to that practitionership. And people don't realize that whether they mean to or not, they already have a personal brand. Exactly. Oh, I love that you said that. I mean, it's not just uh, who's our target, target audience. Let me tell you who's not usually my target audience. Somebody who's just coming out of college and going to get a regular job, just applying for jobs, this still could resonate with them, this conversation, because everything you've done to this point, especially with the social media footprint and all of that the internet has graced us with, you have a personal brand and it's going to come into play when you're getting hired and it applies in every aspect. You could work for a company or you could own your own company or you could just be somebody walking down the street. You all have a personal brand. You are in control of what that is at any given time. It comes with just being a human being and making conscious decisions and are they good and are they bad and what are the consequences of that? Everything you do gives you a personal brand. I can tell you the personal brand of every one of my friends, whether they know it or not, just because I know how I identify them. We talk about branding as what do people say about you when you're not in the room? How do they explain you to other people? You don't exactly. have to. You don't have to have a business proposition to have a personal brand, which also can get us into a little bit of trouble, right? How many times have you heard the conversation? Hey, Roberto, I'm making YouTube videos. How do I monetize? Oh, only every other day. <laughs> only, only every day. And it, that's so that's where you can kind of get hung up there too. It's like, oh, I'm doing all this stuff. I should make money from it. Okay, well, maybe you should have brought a plan for that to begin with as well. Pretty, pretty much. But so it's funny audience. how those two things work together. 
so pe- so many people have audiences and they have content mm-hmm. and they have no plan or no strategy and no execution for how to monetize that or how to scale it. A lot of people don't even know, well, if I don't have a personal brand, how does that help me? But then people who have one, a lot of them don't even know what that does for them outside the vanity numbers. You and I beat up the phrase vanity numbers a lot. And we keep telling people that like views and subscribers don't matter right before we ask for more views and for some more subscribers. Uh-huh. There's an inside joke there, but you know, the vanity numbers don't matter unless you're leveraging them in a very specific way. We leverage our authority through those vanity numbers as far as social proof to prove that, okay, you can take this seriously because enough other people have taken this seriously or we need access and some of that access, there is that perception and that cutoff. So we use it in that way. But it's not to say that that's the most valuable thing to us because you and I both run businesses. The thing is people think that we're full-time YouTubers, especially me with the seven days of content thing. Mm-hmm. People think that that's my job. It's not, it's a healthy part of my revenue pipeline. You know, obviously I can't talk AdSense numbers, but sure. what I can say is that I've had YouTube videos that converted 5,000 because of client referral business off of one video. I've had uh, the inventory of my content do affiliate numbers a thousand plus a month. So the thing is, it's a significant part of my pipeline, but it's not make or break in any way. And so most people can't become a quote unquote full-time YouTuber. It would be impossible for most people because they don't understand how to run a business and how to diversify a revenue model or how to convert followers into either leverage for opportunities that scale and monetize or monetize their following in a very unobtrusive way. I love that you talked about that because I think that that segues perfectly to this first huge myth about being a personal brand, especially in the YouTube space. And that is the monetization aspect in terms of vanity numbers. So what can we sort of bring to light here about, oh, uh, you have 36,000 or 50,000 YouTube subscribers. So you must be making money or are you making enough money? Or are you not, how much money does that equate? Why is that not something that you should be thinking, oh, that, that number of subscribers equates to a certain paycheck? So first of all, it's like, how many of those subscribers are buying anything from you? You and I um, both have like you're on your way to you're on your way close to forty thousand right now, right? Yeah, thirty seven or so. Yeah, mm-hmm. thirty seven. You're going to be with before the end of the year. You're going to close out with like forty forty two thousand. I anticipate based on your growth. Well, um, thank you. <laughs> I um, know that right now at fifty nine something. I know that I'm probably going to close out the year with sixty five to seventy thousand. Now, here's the interesting part of that. If you or I were getting from even 30% of our audience a dollar a month in revenue directly, guess what? We would have a lot more of our time on our hands to create content, but we don't. So that correlation isn't there. And even from the views, the views are not translating to the equivalent of that or even really a, a fraction of that from us. Um, And then out of that audience, how many of them are consuming content from us to one, we want to help them grow, but a lot of the people consuming from us are also 
quote unquote competitive with us, even though we don't think in terms of competition because of our personalities and the way we built our brands. We don't really believe in that so much as collaboration. There's more than enough work to be done. Everyone can get a part of that. But think about it. A lot of people who follow us are not necessarily our ideal clients. That makes up a very small percentage of our base. A lot of it is people who admire us and look up to us and like us, but then are also trying to do exactly what we're doing and be competitive. So they're not likely to put money in our coffers uh, when they're competing with us. So that's another fun part of it to look at. So when you think about that, that's where all these myths come from and how we like completely expose these myths is look, you and I both know that on the AdSense model, assuming that people are monetizing with AdSense, and the thing is, it may not make sense to do that for your personal brand because maybe you don't want to interrupt people or distract them from your content if you're marketing a business. There are videos where I don't have pre-roll ads for a reason. There are videos where I have a lot of pre-roll ads for a reason. Um, so there is that part of it that you have to consider is, well, how am I making money? Am I making it through referrals of my business and growing that personal brand and getting opportunities for speaking, for writing, for sponsorship? And does it make sense to, you know, somehow hobble that with trying to make ad revenue too? Or am I trying to leverage that exposure value? And is that a long game? And has that pay off? And in the meantime, how do I pay rent while that's happening in the long run? Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of, you know, moving pieces to this puzzle. I tell everyone, try to come up with a 10 tier revenue model. You and I both know our friend Tim Schmoyer, has a minimum of 10 to 15 ways that he leverages his video marketing to add up to dollars and cents to make you know money for him and for his family. Um, so his enormous heard, family. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's expecting twins, which will give him a family of oh, six. Yeah. Or, or well, seven with his wife. Or eight, eight. That's a lot. Oh my gosh, what a, what a lot of mouths to feed. So that's yeah. a, that's amazing, right? Like this guy's a full time content creator on YouTube, has a personal brand, and can absolutely tell you without a shadow of a doubt that those subscriber numbers and views do not equate to what he may or may not need on a regular basis. We hope it does, but we're not in control of that. So this myth that you can look at those numbers and make a determination about how much money someone's making, monetizable views change and fluctuate, all of these things are a factor. And we're trying to make it nice and cookie cutter. If only it were nice and cookie cutter for us, the creator, to be oh, able God. to know. I'm constantly checking my ad sets account like, what did they? What dollar amount did they choose this this month? Because it could be anything. And so I, I think that that is a really big myth. And it doesn't just apply on YouTube. It ju doesn't just apply on AdSense. I think we can also see a myth of how big is your email list. That's probably the best vanity metric of all time. It's not very vain because it's usually private information. But let's say let's just take that number. If you have 10,000 email subscribers, okay, and that's a that's a nice number, then oh, yeah. you're you're paying a decent amount of money to an email marketing platform. Um, I think with A Weber, which is the bandwidth sponsor for Social Authority, the podcast, it's it's right probably right around 80 or 90, maybe maybe 100 bucks a month uh, to pay for their platform for that amount of subscribers. So you're looking at that and what but what if you never sell anything to that list they're just sitting there 
what what is that what does that number even matter and it's costing you money to have their information it's very good information to have it's very uh profitable information to have but what are you doing with it if you don't know what to do but with if it? you have no way to directly market to that list and then even though that number is good to have the real number that matters is your open rate mm. you know um for example you know that email marketing is something that even though I knew about it a ton about, it, especially with my previous background in marketing, I was resistant to it until I could make the content in the emails feel as good as the content that people come to watch me uh, in YouTube with or read on blogs and articles that I write for other publications until I felt confident that that was in place. I refused to do email marketing to my own detriment, but I feel good about that because now that I've done it, I now have like over 40% open rates consistently uh, across my list. That is a small list that's growing. I think I started in the end of July or the beginning of August. Okay. And I haven't really promoted my list. Not even in the YouTube space have I really promoted that list of my largest things. But organically, it's grown to um, about 400 people on that list in that time, which mm -hmm. a lot of people you know, would not think is a lot. But at 40% consistent open rates, that's pretty significant considering the average is usually around 12% even of a larger list. Absolutely. And you're actually sitting pretty, pretty, pretty if you're at right around 20%. Um, and that's, that's where I feel um, once your list is in the thousands and it's really going to be hard to get it right every time, especially when you do get in the business of uh, the gift exchange for an email address, you are going to get people that get that gift and either leave immediately or they don't open your emails in the future and that happens. So it's going to consistently drop your rate as you grow. But if you're right around the 20% range, you're doing pretty well. And like you said, 12% is what one, some of the largest lists will see just because it's an enormous number of people and you're not going to get it right every single time timing the headlines got to be perfect so that number not only is subject to your open rate which you can argue what is a good open rate in your industry and your list size and that, can, that we could talk about that forever but then it's also yeah. the click rate what did you even put in that email did you sell something in the email did you pitch the first step to selling something in that email so there's so many factors to that so that's a big myth as well do you have a huge list Sure. Do you know how to use it? Not always. And that brings me to another myth that I want to talk about, which is actually included um, a little bit in uh, one of your list builders. I think you started um, after being inspired a little bit after Scope Past Sunday, your seven yep, points I mean, of personal right branding. <laughs> I made it right after Scope Past Sunday, literally that day, like beginning to end. It's so impressive. And I want to talk about point number two. Um, without saying what it is, I think that one of the biggest myths uh, for personal brands, because like I said in the beginning, it's so easy to simply become a personal brand just because if somebody is, has something to say about you, you're essentially a personal brand, right? But that's also a detriment because there are people that are saying like, oh, I can just come onto the scene. I can start a blab. I can start YouTube. I can start Twitter. I can start whatever, become a personal brand. And that automatically means people understand who I am, my why, and what I want to get out of this. In other words, they understand what you bring to the table. And I like your point number two because it talks about what are your words, right? And defining your words. And I want you to talk about that because, again, it goes back to the monetization, monetization conversation. Everybody wants to say, how do I monetize this? And 
how, how do you monetize what? You, you just kind of showed up and you want to start talking as an authority. What do you bring to the table? What are those words that people are going to know you by? Because this is literally the, def the definition of your personal brand. Exactly. So one of my words, as you well know, is awesome. I've gotten people to associate the word. Everyone awesome. knows that about you. <laughs> But I also made what is referred to as a lexicon, which is the list of words and phrases that are associated with you or your brand or your products and so on and so forth. So my lexicon looks like, one, using the word awesome as many times as I possibly can, mm -hmm. using the phrase create awesome, create awesome things and share them with the world, create something awesome today. And I also use always be creating because it speaks to my values of the three C's, another point creativity, consistency, and context. Those are my qualifiers for how you create anything awesome. You look at those three factors. So awesome is a qualifier. And when I say create something awesome today, it's a mandate for execution. It's create is an active word. Awesome is the qualifier of what do we make as far as what is the quality of that. Today is the time, when, now, urgency. So that resonates with people. And the thing is, it was natural to me. It was authentic. It's what I believe in because in developing the message of my personal brand, I was I was a personal brand, but I feel for a long time I lacked a clear, cohesive message that could bring together all the things I'm interested in, all the things that I do, and make it to where someone's like, you're not a scatterbrain, you're not all over the place, you're not a drack of all trades, master of none. I need to qualify it by saying, what do I do? And it's simple for me. I create awesome things and share them with the world, and I educate and motivate other creative people, regardless of their background, to do exactly the same thing. And here's how I do that, dot, 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 dot. So you have to have your voice and your vision, and that's why your words are important, they have power, you have to know who you are, who you want other people to define you as, and you start that conversation. Yes, your brand is what other people say about you, it doesn't mean you can't dictate what that narrative is. You start the story and it's told over and over and over again. If any lesson you're going to learn from a brand, I would say Apple is how you learn to create a heroic origin story for yourself or for a product. And you think differently. I mean, like that's their tagline, but, and that might be an actionable sort of phrase, but it makes you think of Apple when you think that way. You're like, it's just different. It's just, it's just better. It's just always what I needed to be because they decided to do something different. I love the conversation of the words because a uh, previous guest of the podcast, Michelle Tillis-Laterman, who wrote a book about likability, she mm -hmm. talks about this. And I again, I, I, ideally you want those words to be likable, right? I mean, there's plenty of people with personal brands out there and the words that people associate with them are not positive. Um, it doesn't mean that you know they're not making money. Maybe negative words are working for them, but that's clearly nobody's goal here. Uh, we want those positive words. So what are those words? And she just says like, you got like three, you got three words. And she can speak to a class or a huge audience and challenge them and they will come up with her words. And it's amazing because that means that you are doing the best job possible of exuding that, that brand that you want, whether or not you're actually saying the word over and over again, like one approach that you have with one of your words, awesome. It could just be how you are, the way you are with everything that you do, both 
with graphics, your personality in person, your email writing, all of these things. It all needs to come from the same voice. So I just love that you talk about the words because it can be so simple as to break it down. Don't bother writing your about page. Write down the three words and then grow from there. Exactly. For me, the three C's were a big part of that. Aside from awesome, it was I want people to associate me with creativity, consistency, and context. They don't even have to use the word context. I just want that subliminally to be there. And it is because people think when I want to know something, I'm going to go see what Roberto has to say about it. And, you know, that, and that's not a humble brag. That's like, that's legitimate in the numbers and what people are telling me. I'm just echoing what they're telling me. Um, Absolutely. And for the consistency thing, showing up every day in YouTube is part of that. Yeah, I love that. Consistency is key, which is what we say all the time. It can mean a number of things. For you, it means a number of things, one of them being quite like literally consistency with how often you publish your videos, seven days a week. That's the definition of scheduled consistency, which is incredible. But I love that you put not just creativity. I think that that's very clear, create awesome creativity, no doubt about it as a part of your brand. But I love that you talk about context because I think the reason why people get the wrong idea about YouTube, and I'm actually talking about this a little bit on the show this week, Savvy Sexy Social, is this idea of context of platform. And the reason that we're true YouTubers or YouTubers in whatever form you wanna say, it's because they watch one of our videos and they feel at home with that content when they're watching it. And that's a testament to the fact that you respect the platform, you respect why the viewer is where they, where they are at any given moment, they're on YouTube, the land of cats and homemade videos. So respect that and bring that to the table and frame your message that way. Um, I always give the example of Gary Vaynerchuk, again, bringing him up. I feel like I bring him up in everything because it's just a consistent theme. Uh, But Gary's book, Jab, 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 Right Hook, I did a video review. Everyone reviewed that book. Like everyone and their mom reviewed that book, especially since it was basically a picture book. I mean, how can you go wrong? And I I decided to do something different and I did a parody music video for the holiday season. It's that context of platform. And of course he loved it because he talks about context of platform in the book. So it was just this super meta situation. Homage to Gary Vee. Yeah, but, but it was all about the context. Why did that video get views? Because it was a take that was different than everyone else's that followed through with context of platform, YouTube, parodies, cat videos, and the message. Ultimately, the message I wanted to get across. You have to take into consideration all of those things. doesn't matter what kind of brand you are, personal or not. Exactly. And it's all about not only context of platform, but situational context as far as people. Um, people a lot of times in the uh, in-house world who are working a job think that they don't need a personal brand or they don't need a message. And the thing is, you do if you want your career to scale because people don't go in with a career plan. They just get a job and they don't have a plan for where they're going to be in 10 or 20 years or it's a mundane career track plan and there's no actual real execution ladder to get where they really want to be. And a personal brand can be part of that because you're really just defining a lot of your own values and then you're associating actions 
that can take you there. And a lot of that becomes you, unfortunately, for some people, for their personality, it means you're going to have to talk. It means you're going to have to do this because human beings are interesting and everything else isn't. I know everyone wants to say the work will speak for itself. The work will speak for itself. The work will speak for itself. <laughs> I have the best product ever. I have the best product ever. It's That's all that matters, right? It doesn't matter book, if we tell anybody. <laughs> right. But here's the thing. That's left open to interpretation, especially if something is not well-positioned and well-designed, even if it's a good product, it can be left open to interpretation. Someone could decide, well, that's not for me. But if you have enough conversation, someone could say, oh, you know what? This is, in fact, for me or this was what I was struggling with, or this does solve my problem. Uh, you know, whenever I do product review stuff, I always address that, you know what? This product may not 100% be for me, or I may not use it every day, but I'm reviewing it because one of you needs to know how this works, or someone had a question about it. So if you're this person, it might be for you. And so that's context one-on-one -on -one to whoever that person is consuming, but it's also one-to-many because who's to say that that one person isn't identifying with the values or the concerns of all these other people? If you're an employee, your personal brand could be the fact that everyone around the water cooler says that you do a great job, but you're a pain in the butt to work with. That could be your personal brand. You could be the pain in the butt or, oh, God, don't put me on his project team or, oh, God, I don't want to work under her. Can I go to a different yeah. department? That could be your personal brand, right? Or your personal brand could be, wow. This person is so efficient. Wow. This person is always so open and ready to jump in and help. Wow. This person always has meaningful input and conversations and always reaches out or follows up or is timely. Those could be things with your personal brand. But part of that is not just in the actions. It's not just in what you're doing every day. It's not this whole showing up early and staying late thing that I don't believe in. Never did. It's about what are you putting people in a position to say about you? Are you framing conversations so that people are not just leaving who you are open to interpretation? Are you dictating your narrative? Are you writing your story or is somebody else doing it? Because I want to write my story and just have other people share it. Mm. I don't want someone else to take offense to my story. Um, oh my gosh, know, that's brilliant. Just stop. Let's just stop everything. Just everybody just take that in. Roberto, seriously, if you don't take control of your life, somebody else will, period. It's, it's the rule. People are here. We make relationships. We ultimately use those relationships. So you have to, everything from start to finish, what people say about you and what you decide to execute on, which I like how you talk about execution in this PDF as well, or this ebook, is it's, it's a conscious decision that you have to make is execution, but you can't execute without the plan and you can't execute or have the plan without knowing who you are, why you're doing what you're doing, having these words and knowing what you want people to think and therefore say about you. There's so much, we could talk about this all day. Um, I want to make sure everybody knows that the seven points of personal branding by Roberto Blake is available in the show notes for download. Um, and thank you for making that available to the social authority uh, audience here because I really want them to read your take on this. But before we finish, I'd really like to take a blab question uh, because Kelly popped in early and 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 said this, and I really think it's a good it's a good question. It can sort of set the tone. We're not all YouTubers, right? But uh, what about in the case of a filmmaker? Uh, Kelly says, "I'm a filmmaker, so do I need a personal brand?" A filmmaker 
uh, probably in this case and in many cases, isn't in front of the camera, the quite literal camera, because he's a filmmaker. So what is your take on that? What what should the approach be in that case? Look at, when in any of those situations, look to the great people that you admire and look at what their story is. Steven Spielberg is a personal brand. We know what a Steven Spielberg film is going to look like and feel like, and we know what people are going to say about it. We know what a George Lucas film looks like and feels like. We know specifically you could put no title, no uh, captions, and we would know a Quentin Tarantino film. Yes, I was just going to say Quentin Tarantino. Like you, There's like no work involved in knowing a Quentin Tarantino movie. Oh, <laughs> none. So we know that. You, as, as, a, as a filmmaker, as an artist, as a musician, you do have a personal brand. It is the expectation and the tone. And I would say for a filmmaker that the three C's of uh, creativity, consistency, and context matter more than anything aside from execution, obviously, because uh, creatively setting the tone of this is the, you know, this is what I am going to do that's different and is unique. And this is why you should see my film instead of the other seven things in the box office or the other 20 things at this film festival. So that creativity is going to set you apart. That's what sets apart the Spielbergs, the Tarantinos, the Guillermo uh, del Toros, those are the things that set them out is the creativity. Then it's the consistency. Once you've established like who you are and what your voice and what your vision is, are you going to always mix it up? Because that could be consistent as far as that. I never know what to expect. That could be the consistent theme or I know exactly what I'm going to get and I'm all about it. That could be it. That there's another form of consistency. Randomness can be consistency. Um, so there is that. There's a Being, tweetable. Yeah, <laughs> a surprise. Oh, you know. What's next? What's next? I don't know. Like, give me that Nick new surprise. So, but there's, that there's could, because of that randomness and everything else around it. That's what gives it the predictability that makes people feel drawn back in every time. Game of Thrones. Mm. Oh, nobody's safe. Somebody might die. What? What's gonna happen? <laughs> You're who's, gonna, who's on the? Shop? <laughs> there are betting pools. There are literally betting pools for who will make it through a season. Okay, and that's wow. consistent. So. There is that aspect of it. And then, of course, context. It's knowing who the audience is, knowing what the media platform you're going to do. I think that being a web-first filmmaker would be very different in context and affect everything else versus someone who's going to be an independent film festival filmmaker or someone who wants to go into the box office world and traditional Hollywood. I think that it's very different in terms of context. I think the audiences overlap, but they have different expectations. So I think Valuing that context, respecting that creation uh, relationship, and respecting those platforms uh, is super important. Absolutely. I think that's a great way for us to wrap up. Really great question, Kelly. Thanks to the Blab community that's hanging out in the chat with us. Uh, Roberto Blake from the Roberto Blake YouTube channel. You must go check him out. The links are in the show notes. Also, Please get this ebook also available to you just by tapping your artwork and, and clicking that link. The seven points of personal branding. I want to thank Roberto for being on. I want to thank our bandwidth sponsor, AWeber, the only email marketing platform that I trust with my database. Go to SavvySexySocial.com slash AWeber for 60 days for free, not 30, 60. They like us a heck of a lot more. And, and thank you so much for tuning in to Social Authority. If you really are trying to take those social steps and turn them into the referrals that drive real business, go to socialauthoritymembership.com and find out how you can become a member. Roberto, you have been amazing. Thank you for being here. 
thank you for having me. It's always great to hang out with you and create awesome content together. Always. So go and create something awesome today. Did I do it right? <laughs> you did it right.